Gwen Wilson, and this is Positively Gotham Gal. Real, honest, and meaningful conversations with women entrepreneurs about their approach to life, business, and everything in between. Lauren Yoshika is a freelance writer and editor who writes The Broccoli Report, a bi-weekly newsletter for creative cannabis entrepreneurs. Lauren has been blogging through the unprecedented wave of growth and change in the cannabis industry as recreational use is slowly and sometimes quickly getting legalized throughout the country. The podcast episode will highlight her experience navigating and documenting the strange world of weed. I'm super psyched to talk weed. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'm excited to talk with you. Yes. So where are you? Ha- where are you right now? Where where you? Where do you hang your hat? Portland, Oregon, a coast to coast moment. Got it. I like that. So talk to me about like, where did you grow up? And how did you get into the, 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 the cannabis? Well, actually, I guess freelancing and writing business. Yeah, yeah. I initially I am from Southern Oregon, a small town called Roseburg. And I did sort of grow up in what we consider like the tip of the the unofficial tip of the Emerald Triangle. So in Southern Oregon, there's a lot of outdoor cultivation. It's just ideal climate. And mm-hmm. um, so I had lots of uncles and friends of friends of friends or someone's friend's dad always grew. It was kind of around and it wasn't as scary to me, I would say. I had like a liberal family. My dad's a defense attorney who, you know, already I'm sort of like questioning law and questioning authority through my dad. By the way, we should all do that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the things. Yeah. Oh, my God. The things that I I'm probably a little too confident. I'm definitely too confident dealing with police because of that. But when I went to college, I went to UC Santa Cruz. And honestly, that's where I picked up my habits, even though I grew up in a place. It wasn't really a part of my life. I was very much like an overachiever in high school. Um, And when I went to Santa Cruz, it's like weed is like the unofficial mascot uh, (laughs) form of currency commodity. It is so a part of going to school there and living in that town. Um, Like the 420 celebration, it was like the biggest outdoor festival I'd ever even seen in my life to that point. It was like Mardi Gras. Yes, exactly. To me, from Roseburg, Oregon, it was Mardi Gras. Um, So that was a really eye-opening thing to happen at the same time that I'm, my, you know, my mind is opening. I'm becoming a person. I'm writing a, a notebook for the first time and being like, oh, this feels good, like expressing myself and finding the right words to express the right things. So very much me finding my voice is commingled with me finding a relationship with weed that was something of my own that was like smoking on my own and writing was this whole new experience and felt really good to be reflective like that in a deeper way really for the first time in my life. And then graduating with a lit degree, I just wanted any opportunity to get into the writing world. I wrote like two crappy like blog pieces on Portland bars for a website that I don't think anyone went to. And I was like, I don't know, I guess this is how people start. But the local uh, newspaper here, we have like a pretty prominent alt weekly that does pretty well. And and a lot of people read it probably more than the main paper. 
And they started doing a weed column under a fake name. Some guy named Willie Weed would write reviews of strains. And this is pre-legalization, so it was pretty novel. This is a print weekly issue that's very respected, like, you know, hard-hitting news. And in the back... How long ago was this? So we're talking 2013. That's pretty amazing. It really is. Willamette Week gets zero credit for being one of the first respectable publications to take weed seriously. And it paid off. That's so cool. Because the foundational writers. But yeah, it was very much seeing that gave me the confidence to just reach out to the newspaper and say, I am a woman. If you're interested in having a balanced voice, because this is, you know, at the time that we were starting to be like, hmm, maybe we should see women do things as well in media. You know, 2014, things were starting to. Yeah, I mean, certainly things were starting to turn. At least women were starting to say, okay, we've had a fuck enough. Yeah. So that cultural environment gave me the confidence to say, like, you've only got one guy writing about weed. I'm a girl. I have a medical dispensary card. And that was enough for them to be like, write us a draft. And it ran in the next week's paper. Amazing. So weed was actually my foot into the writing door period. And from there, it was like, that was the kind of work that I got expanding out. And it was very scary for a while for me to feel like I'm going to be pigeonholed. I'm never going to be taken seriously by mainstream publications. And now it's like, yeah, I've sort of accidentally found a, a career here. Well, it's pretty amazing. I mean, was this all print or was it also online? It was both. It was both. It was both. Yes. So that helped me start to be a voice in the SEO environment when people were like, oh, shoot, we need a cannabis writer or something because suddenly they want to get in on that. It was a very readable topic. Yeah. I mean, but still, I mean, even today, like when you go on Instagram or you go, it's like no one's shutting this stuff down, right? It's being much more like, okay, it's cool. But Back then, I mean, if you know, I, I'm invested in a company called Vine Pair, which essentially is, you know, the next wine spectator. And it's online, it's great, fantastic articles. And there was a conversation like six or seven, six, seven years ago. It's like, hey, we should do this in cannabis too, right? No one's doing it. And like immediately, bang, shut down. And so we got out of that and stuck with the, the alcohol and the wine, which has been. A tremendous success and it's continuing to grow and um and no one has really created except for broccoli you know a a really interesting dialogue and conversations around cannabis that are more long form it's true it's true broccoli and that was interesting for me because i actually met the founder of broccoli as she was getting it together when I was still, so as I was doing my writing work for Willamette Week and starting to get more work for publications freelance, I was definitely not making enough to live off of. And I was working at a dispensary. I worked at a farm. I worked at, um, I was an apartment building manager, all kinds of things to to pay the bills, do what you got to do. Um, and it, it wasn't until the, the pandemic, honestly, that I was making enough money to sustain myself. And from then on, so since 2020, I have been a full-time writer, but until then I was not. I mean, the truth is if you can make money as a full-time writer, that is pretty good these days. Yeah, exactly. Because, you know, we have really discounted um, and pushed everything into a freelance era so that these companies can tighten up and cut and and cut uh, cut corners yeah there's some there's something about how like i mean i'm making like a fraction of what the writers in the 50s made doing my job like proportionally it's crazy but um anya the founder of broccoli is uh 
is married to a vape manufacturer that I was selling trim to at the medical farm that I worked at. That's so good. Isn't it great? It was this a very authentic connection. And at one point he was like, you know, my girlfriend's starting a weed magazine. Would you like to meet her? And it was when she was starting to figure out the stories for issue one. So she not only commissioned me to write a couple articles, but she commissioned someone to write an article about me. So it very much was like, okay, Broccoli helped legitimize me. It also validated what I was doing and showed like, okay, I'm on an interesting path. If I'm a part of this new thing that people are excited about, then I'm doing something right. Well, what I love is, you know, the magazine is beautiful, but I like how you write about sort of like this recap of things we should be paying attention to in the industry. The Broccoli Report, yes. The Broccoli Report is fantastic. And there is only... I'm really proud of that. You should be. It's fantastic. And I I, I look forward to it. I read it. I see what you have to say. I'm so happy to hear that, Joanne. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's a great piece. I mean, I, I also read the marijuana uh report that comes out every day that was really state by state of what's going on okay yeah yeah he does a great job um and then the rest of them weed week is good weed week is good okay that's good to know i do not get weed week i like weed week i like alex he's been around for a long time and it it is an efficient way to gather all the headlines okay good to know i mean there's so much going on in the industry and so i'm just curious like what have you learned since you've started because you came in very very early to this you know industry and um i mean i've been watching it from afar well you've talked to lots of people (laughs) you've got a pretty damn good idea i'm sure but boy i mean i have learned a lot i've learned a lot about business i've learned about agriculture about medicine about people and for my storytelling purposes the by and large the biggest takeaway i guess would have to be like there is a special draw for a special group of people to work in cannabis because they know even if there's this exciting concept of the green rush People know it's going to be hard. And for some people, it's really hard. It's still like coming out to your parents. It's still coming out to your church. Like it is still a really big deal for a lot of people to dive into this game. And they're doing it despite those challenges because they believe in it. And if they're still this interested in weed, they've probably felt like that their whole lives. And for so long, everybody who did believe in weed had to be the only one in the room that felt that way, right? They were in, in all these rooms where everybody felt the opposite and everyone in the world was telling them the opposite. The government, science, everyone was saying, you're wrong. And you had to just hold this little candle of faith. Like, I don't know, what I'm feeling is not grokking with what you guys are saying. I, I don't think that's right. No, I totally agree with you. I mean, what's amazing to me is, I mean, even the first time, you know, when I was in high junior high school getting stoned and I remember thinking, why isn't this legal? And then remember the first time you tried salvia and you were like, this is legal? Yeah, I mean, and, yeah. Yeah, now it's not legal anymore, but yeah. What's interesting too is like, is CBD has now become like, hey, you can buy this shit at Walmart. But if you really look into certain products and how they're done, that is extremely wonderful in terms of, you know, mental health and your skin and sleeping and all these different angles, you know, and then we have pharmaceutical, which is so supposedly highly regulated. And so, you know, I wonder about the regulation and, you know, I'm curious what you think about all the regulations that are going on. Yeah. 
I think it's really exciting to have heard, you know, to have our president be like, we need to relook at this. It's a huge deal. And I'm, I was really excited to see that this year because it's the, it's the truth who can deny it. And to have someone speak to that was very validating. It's still really frustrating because one of the early things I learned that made me so angry was the, you know, a big part of the definition of these controlled substances is no medical application for a schedule one drug. And the U.S. government has U.S. government funded studies and patents out on the medical, on certain medical abilities of this plant. So it's like even on paper where con the government's contradicting themselves and that's so irritating and really they owe so many people because they refuse to change the scheduling. They should change scheduling on cigarettes and uh, alcohol. Oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> I, However, I am reaching that point of economic and business understanding where I can zoom out and see why people, why advocates are scared at times to just barrel forward with legalization because boy, with the wrong laws, we will get fucked. I totally agree. And I am at that point where I'm like in no rush necessarily, but at the same time, like where we're at is totally unethical and I want change and I want it to be legalized. I want it to be completely descheduled. It doesn't belong on the controlled substances list no. by definition because alcohol isn't even on there and it should be. But also the federal government. Boy, it, we are, yeah. In terms of banking, it's utterly ridiculous. And the people that will have the funds to immediately capitalize on the borders lifting and everything being a free-for-all will be the big dogs. And the big dogs will be the first thing on the shelves in every state that's coming on at the same time. And they'll be the only ones that can afford to have good marketing and get a brand recognition initially. And it will be it'll be 1000% harder for new people to enter this industry than it is right now, which is not easy. No, it's not. So what do you think about New York coming? Um, you know, what are your thoughts about it in New York? Because New York is actually doing a decent job in regards to allowing people to build their businesses, giving them time, not letting the, um, you know, the multi-state operators come into the, uh, uh, state for at least three to four years and they have to pay a huge amount of money to get into the state. I think it's something around $10 million. And so, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens um, because it is expensive um, to get into this business. It is highly regulated and as much as they wanted to make it simple, it's not simple. No, that's really good to hear. I actually didn't know that about the MSO element and I'm thrilled to hear that because that's huge. The uh, one thing that happened in California was that they kind of California is a mess and they kind of tried to have something like that, but they left a huge loophole in the form that like people could stack licenses. And I don't think New York's laws will allow for that. No. Um, so I'm excited to hear that there actually may be some staving off because I think that is one of the biggest challenges is the competition with big dogs that are just instantly ready to rock with the funds to weather any storm. Yeah, I mean, I will tell you, you know, years ago when it first started the medical thing in New York, right? 
they gave out very few licenses. And I had been contacted by a couple of people. Are you interested in putting money in this? And I was like, no, because I know exactly what this is. These are companies that are all white men that are trying to grab these medical licenses, knowing that the long tail. The monopoly. Exactly. And then they can move into recreational when it flips. And so, you know, I think that many of them, um, are now the state put them back on their heels, which I th New York did, which is great. But on the other hand, um, you know, the rollout is, has a share of problems. I know this whole, the chaos of the gray market right now is, I do not envy that state figuring that out. In my experiences, when I first saw, let's say Oregon and Washington flip, it was so, penalized like even in the medical world there were no like fake there were very few fake medical dispensaries operating that wouldn't have gotten like raided and shut down so even seeing shops operate prior to legalization is still so shocking to me i know that that does exist even in vancouver bc in california we've got fake dispensaries still operating well after recreational right so <clears throat> it's not unheard of but boy it is it is messy because people at this point they've had i mean like a year to to literally create brand recognition people have their favorite bodega and it's going to be annoying what even even if the city successfully shuts down all those unlicensed operators consumers are going to be annoyed having to walk down to a different dispensary than the one they've been going to and kind of gotten into the last year they will hopefully value the benefits of a tested licensed dispensary, but yeah. they it's yeah, messy is there's some I don't don't envy them in that regard. Well, the word you use, a tested licensed right, dispensary is, is, is the key here, right? Tested. So that you know that what you're buying from that dispensary has been okayed by the state, that there's not fentanyl in it. You know, it's actually a decent product. It's doing what it's supposed to do. Um, you know, when you go into the dispensaries in New York right now, and there are tons of them that are totally illegal. There's only one that's open so far in New York City that's actually a legal dispensary. Is that the, all the other ones, it's like, yeah, you see all the products right. from California in there, but like, are they the products from California? You know? Are they? Right. Are they? Cal you can print out a label right now super easily from online. Yeah, I I completely agree with you there. And, and I will say for listeners, like, I know I smoked street weed for a long time and it can sort of feel like, well, I mean, how dangerous is it really going to be? I mean, I trust these people. What are they? I like these people. They're not going to sell me bad stuff you would be shocked at the stuff that's in scary weed that may not hurt as it's going down. It is hurting your body because I have talked to too many lab techs and researchers in Portland that deal with thousands of weed samples from good growers, from licensed growers, unlicensed growers, people all across the board. And they're just terrified for people smoking the broad majority of weed. Like, I'll just put it that way. They were not reassured even knowing how many dispensaries were operating in Portland because they really only trusted a portion of them based on the samples they saw. So testing really does matter because- It does. There is a lot of questionable growing methods being used because pretty weed sells and that's a fact. So the bottom line is they're going to make the weed look good. And they'll put, some people will put whatever chemicals possible to make that weed look viable. No, it is certainly an issue. I mean, I remember walking home. This is like 
God, a couple of years ago. And it was, there was this dispensary and it was just like, so I went in and I was like, you know, can I buy some joints? Oh yeah, no problem. I was like, so how are you doing that? Right. You know? Yeah. I haven't shopped at one, but that's what I would do too. I'd be like, can I just, like, how are you doing this? You know, ask you a question. And my husband like filmed me doing this. And I was like, so do you have a license? And the guy's like, oh, you know, I was like, I'm like, where is this shit from? You know, I was like, I was asking all these questions. Did you post this? Oh my God. I need to watch this. No, I didn't post it, but the guy was like so confused. Right. So on the way home, I smoked it. Okay. And then I'm thinking, what's in the, like, who knows what's in this shit? Right. I know. I know. And I mean, when you're, you know, we've all been there traveling and you're like, I'll smoke whatever uh, this new friend is sharing some weed with me. I'll smoke it. But you guys, with all those taxes and paying $20 a gram or whatever, don't you want it to be worthwhile? Oh, man. Yes. You want to know what's in it. It'll be interesting to see what the government does down the line to say like, okay, there's five millimeter, five, you know, of, you know, THC is in here. and what does that do to you? What does that exactly mean? You know, and breaking it down to a way that would be very government-like, just like they do in pharmaceutical. Yeah. Yeah. It is. That's why I also, why we were sort of touching on like, I want it to be legalized, but I also am not in a rush for it to be legalized because what are those laws? We do not know the best way to phrase it yet. We've we've gone through this experiment in how many states so far, and we certainly have not cracked the code. Nobody. Nobody has cracked the code. California is a disaster. Kids are getting into weed. People are getting way too high still. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We still have not figured out the best way to phrase these things. All these laws are inviting so many lawsuits. That's the biggest challenge to equity in my eyes is figuring out how to write equity qualifications that don't result in a summer of lawsuits that only further handicaps the equity people. Like the equity applicants in Chicago have had to wait in Illinois, I've had to wait like two extra years from conventional licensees because of all the lawsuits. And that's like, you guys, we are fucking up if this is what's happening. Oh, yeah. Illinois has been a disaster. Yes. Of the lawsuits. No, it's completely. So how about being a female in this industry? I mean, one thing I noticed at the very beginning, so I sent out, um, I mean, I did a blog post years ago and I was like, I want to invest in weed. And like, I got all these responses. I started talking to tons of people and I found there were all these women starting all these lines. And it just seems like, as like, we're going out and trying to hire women. There's just not a lot out there. Why and what, and what went on? Yeah. It's, it's so interesting because in these kind of interviews that I had in the early years, that was it, right? It was like, wow, women in weed, like, tell me what's happening. And I was like, nothing's happening. You think something's happening because you see all these headlines, but we still represent a tiny fraction of the industry. So part of that, I think, was straight up like distortion mm -hmm. of, a, of there was a lot of talk about women in weed and it felt like there were more. But honestly, there were never more. We have always been struggling for market share and they're right now minority owners i just looked this up for a story this week are still under like the national standard for other business industries i do agree with you in that i individually talk to a shit ton of women in this industry and and probably the majority of the people i write about are women um and 
And while it's just as challenging and we're just as outnumbered in most boardrooms, I do see, I think that there is that sense of a fairer shot at a seat at the table when it's just so new. And I think that still applies. There is still this, as I've gotten to understand the business industry a little more, it's so hilariously stupid to see how frequently men need to be reminded that like women are 50% of the population and maybe, maybe a woman's opinion might help you sell some shit. (laughs) Um, and women get that and, and they're still capitalizing on that. Like we do, we do see women who are innovating weed products that no one else is doing. Like superette in Canada, that super chic retail brand. She's terrific. But the problem there is, is that there's a cannabis store in every block in Toronto and nobody wants to support those, those stores financially in terms of investments because there is a store on every single block. And as much as it's super chic, it's super cool, it was really genius and she did a great job is that they might never, they might not succeed because no one wants to put money into those businesses because they're literally like a deli on every corner. It's a scary time. And it's like listening to your anecdote about that business not working out. Part of me is like, I mean, you're probably at this point, like no love lost there. It actually getting into, it's, it's one thing to write about weed, but the people who actually were working with the weed, I mean, the businesses that I touched, they were all failed businesses. The, the dispensary closed after six months, the medical shop, cause they couldn't go wreck. The farm I worked at closed after two years, never hit the black. Like it is such a competitive space, especially in mature markets. I don't think it's the same if we were like starting a business in Missouri right now. Well, also it's the way that the government has taxed all this, right? Instead of thinking, how do we help industries grow? It's all about taxation. Yeah, you're right. They're so screwed. All no startups are in the red. No startups are in the black for five years. But we people, we don't get to do the tax write-offs that allow you to see the next year like other startups do. Yeah, you're exactly right. Exactly, which is utterly ridiculous. If they really believe that this is going to be, you know, the panacea in terms of new industry. I mean, what is the number? Or if they want equity, yeah, it's only going to be the very rich people that can figure out their taxes enough to continue on the game. That is a hundred hundred percent correct it's a gross barrier i mean we're opening a dispensary hopefully on um 420 oh my gosh congratulations in new york yes in new york on the third and bowery so we are one of the first people that got a license we partnered with strive oh my god and you know i mean we're talking about lawyers and tax accountants you know for one store yes oh i can't imagine now granted that store is not just going to be cannabis. What we're creating is like the Colette or the Barneys of cannabis. So not only are you going to buy weed, you can buy a blanket or you can buy a candle. Or you can buy a beautiful piece of sculpture or art. What will your shop be named? Gotham. So, you know, but, you know, we were talking about this and I'm looking at this. I was like, this is a lawyer's dream right? How are the people that have been previously incarcerated, you know, even though there's certain covenants that they have to get through in order to get that license, unless they're super savvy, 
you know, tax-wise, are they going to make any money at the end of the year? I mean, that's essentially what happened to the restaurant industry when the prices of real estate went up so high. They're looking at each other like, okay, at the end of the year, we don't make any money. So what's the point? Right. So, you know, it's it's not easy. That's like the people selling their equity licenses. At the end of right. the day, if they're getting offered three million for this, the license that they just got, like they're like, yeah, sure. Can we blame them for taking that deal? Yeah. No. So in New York, you can't sell for four years. Interesting. See, okay, these are some interesting little niche rules. I didn't realize that you were opening a dispensary, so you're definitely going to be my resource for some uh, some legal <laughs> things. <laughs> You've read through all the laws. I mean, it's just it's extremely complicated. Reading the Oregon laws in 2014 was like 40 pages, so it was a very different game. This is 225. <laughs> I can only imagine. I mean, it's crazy, and they're trying to do the right thing, right? But at the end of the day most government people are not business people and that's really what's needed and look what happened we've got we've got this lawsuit tying up all those licenses in illinois and new york yeah oh new york yeah the whole brooklyn thing yeah, yeah. but they're opening up in other places so yeah it's not yeah, holding yeah. them back the whole state right so what's the future for you and the broccoli port i mean because this is certainly an industry like you were ground floor and the next decade's going to be a very different place yeah i'm really excited about the the broccoli report because that sort of the substack world has been an awesome opportunity for me to be like oh okay i can write whatever i want here for one i don't have to worry about hitting my seo and broccoli has really given me the authority for it to be my own thing and and say what i want to say and do what i want to do that's fantastic oh my gosh being ad free in this day and age for a writer is so rare it makes me really proud and i i hope people see the value in that and coming from the newspaper world like we cannot take good news for granted. We are so lucky to even have access to it still because the people that are doing it are doing it for not enough money and they're doing it. They're saying no to a lot of deals that would make their lives easier that would have advertisers determine way more of the content. Yeah, and the SEO is ridiculous. Yes, it really, it really is. It is changing the editorial voice of the world, but I want to keep it going as long as goddamn possible for that reason. I, I really believe in what we're doing and providing news and help for small businesses because at the end of the day, I want to make this industry the, I want to contribute in a way that I love this industry. I love quality product. I want to have access to it for the rest of my life. I want to have good tincture as I start to deal with arthritis, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I have a very serious stake in wanting this industry to, to wanting the, the players that we want to survive to thrive. And this is a way for me to give them also open up my knowledge index, open up my Rolodex to try to help good people do well, because I know that everyone needs every tool they can get access to because it's so competitive right now. It so is. I'm, I'm proud of it. Yeah. It's going to keep going. That's awesome. I mean, it's like, it's like the CPG space where like, you know, everyone opened all these new things with a lot of money behind them, you know, and some of them were just right and some of them failed um but i'm hoping that the next decade we'll see some fantastic brand new companies that have worked super hard to get to i totally agree 
They will. And we're going to see, we're also going to see so many more people enter this space. Like this year has been my year to really try to have more perspective about like, we have been trying to sell cannabis to the same people for the last five years. We really have not expanded very broadly into the mainstream population that has never tried cannabis before. I saw a statistic the other day that was probably, you know, not perfect, but it said 33% of Americans said they've ever tried CBD. I saw 15% of Americans smoke weed, but I will also say that the reason it has been such a crazy, like everyone's buying, these people were buying before. Exactly. They've just changed their buying habits. Exactly, 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 exactly. The people we're talking to are the people that already were into weed. That's what I've been thinking about this exactly. year. We are, and, and it's good to not feel like we're fucked already, right? It's nice to remember that, no, no, no. Even though it can sometimes feel like the stage has been set and all the the winners have already been determined, they really have not. Good. They're, look at MedMen. MedMen was everything three years ago. They were the thing. They are going out of business. That name may not mean anything in five years. It won't because they were crazy lunatics. And so, you know. Even Poor High Times is sort of like on the way out as far as like a brand and an entity. I know. So, I know. Well, that gives you an opportunity. You're exactly right. In, in 10 years, who the hell knows what the landscape will be? And there is a a lot of opportunity, even with how competitive and scary things can feel at times. It is. Well, listen, it was great talking to you. Thank you so much. I love reading everything you do, and I'm excited to continue to read you and see where you go with all this stuff. Thank you so much, Joanne. Yes, please search thebroccolireport.com if you want to keep up with things happening in the weed and hemp realm uh, coast to coast. And truly, I look forward to talking with you again about what's happening in New York. Good luck with Gotham. I will keep you posted. All right. Take care, Lord. Sounds good. All right. Bye. Bye. more about the broccoli report you can visit at their website broccolimag.com and our next guest on positively gotham gal will be gina duncan the president of bam brooklyn's premier multi-art center known for its focus on progressive avant-garde and diverse programming <laughs>